Hello, and welcome back to Responding To. It's been quite a while. <laughs> um, yeah, so I took a little break, not really intentionally, but you know, like things happen. I'm having to move, so I'm in the process of looking for a new house. I got a little sick, as you might be able to hear. Um, started a new job, you know, la la, things are moving. So, um, it's been a while, but I, I am still here. I'm still thinking and writing about the podcast and, you know, not gonna abandon it by any means. So I'm excited to be back with a new episode. Um, so just to give a little intro in case I have any first time listeners, um, this podcast is called Responding To. Uh, it's a podcast that aims to respond to projected questions old white dudes might have about gender and sexuality. I'm Lane, a non-binary transgender queer person, and I have a master's in women and gender studies. Okay, so this episode is going to be a little different than previous episodes in that it's about a topic that does not pertain to gender and or sexuality specifically, or maybe it would be more accurate to say that it doesn't pertain to them exclusively because it does pertain to them, but it also pertains to a lot of other identity categories, issues, communities, and lived experiences. And that topic is the difference between equity and equality. I hear a lot of mainstream discussion about equality and not a whole lot about equity, though of course there is some. Um, I, I feel that we really should be aiming for discussing equity a whole lot more than we are, so I'm hopeful that this episode will demonstrate that for you. Um, I can't remember if I've talked about the difference between equity and equality yet, like just briefly in a previous episode, but either way, I think it's probably a good idea to start with some definitions. So, good old Merriam-Webster defines equality as, quote, the quality or state of being equal as likeness or sameness in quality, power, status, or degree, end quote. And that's the legal definition, by the way. And also, according to Merriam-Webster, the legal definition of equity is, quote, justice according to fairness, especially as distinguished from mechanical application of rules, end quote. So now you might be saying to yourself, these two things sound fairly similar. Once more, that definition of equality is, quote, the quality or state of being equal as likeness or sameness in quality, power, status, or degree. And the definition of equity is, justice according to fairness, especially as distinguished from mechanical application of rules. So the definition of equality centers on a state of sameness and the definition of equity centers on justice according to fairness. Right off the bat, what, what I can tell you about the difference between these two definitions is that equity takes into consideration context, while equality feels like it would offer the same analysis regardless of the situation. So why am I arguing that context is so important? Great question. Let's fire up an example here so we have something to apply these concepts, concepts to. How about reparations? And I'm specifically referring to reparations for slavery in the context of the U.S. So what this would mean is some form of compensation for the descendants of those who were forcibly trafficked to and enslaved in the U.S. Now, if we consider reparations for slavery through the lens of equality, we might reach a conclusion that looked something like, at this time in history, slavery is technically over. Therefore, because we are all equal in not being enslaved, then no one should receive any compensation for slavery. This is the argument that I believe currently prevails in mainstream U.S. politics and is the reason 
one of the reasons why we have not been able to successfully pass any pro-reparations legislation. But if we consider the idea of reparations for slavery through the lens of equity, we, we might reach a conclusion that looked something like, sure, at this time in history, perhaps slavery, slavery is technically over and we are all, quote, equal in not being enslaved, although this is debatable when you consider the prison industrial complex's relationship to labor and profit and the living conditions of the poor and late stage capitalism, but for clarity's sake, I'll leave that aside for now. However, the descendants of those who were forcibly trafficked to and enslaved in the U.S. bear the financial, emotional, logistical, and I'm sure more trauma of that horrific period of history. If you're not convinced of this point already, just a few stats for you. According to The Economist, the average black household wealth is $133,000 and the average white household wealth is $933,000. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, in 2002, black people owned less than 1% of rural land in the U.S., while white people owned 96% of it. Very important side note here, 100% of U.S. land is stolen from the indigenous people who are native to this land and have been systematically displaced and or murdered by colonization almost entirely perpetrated by white people for multiple hundreds of years now. Uh, and finally, the Department of Housing and Urban Development estimates that black people make up 39% of people experiencing homelessness, though they only represent 12.3% of the total U.S. population, while white people make up 48% of people experiencing homelessness, though they represent 72% of the total U.S. population. And I will put all of those sources in the episode description. And as I said, these are only a few statistics, and they really only cite the things that are more easily quantified because it's much harder to quantify emotional and psychological trauma. So please note that this is a much more complex and far-reaching issue than these statistics are able to convey. Um, but so back to the lens of equity. As I was saying, the descendants of those who were forcibly trafficked to and enslaved in the U.S. bear the financial, emotional, logistical, and more trauma of that horrific period of history. Therefore, if we apply a principle of justice according to fairness, we can understand that though there will never be a way to undo or even fully address that trauma, the absolute least we can do would be to provide the descendants of those who were forcibly trafficked to and enslaved in the U.S. with significant compensation financial, emotional, logistical, and otherwise. We can see, based upon this example, the importance of taking context into consideration, and therefore why equity gives us a more just political, political outcome than equality. Let's now consider another example that'll take us away from the macro view of a nationwide political action to the more micro view of one university campus and a personal experience that I had as a student. In my senior year of undergrad, I ran for vice president of the student body. One of the election rules at my university was that you could not run for election under a, quote, nickname. As you probably know by this point, I am transgender. I was running under the name Lane because it's the name I use and the name everyone knows me by, but it's not my legal name. I knew about the nickname rule going into the election, and pretty much as soon as I made my candidacy official, I opened up a conversation with the elections committee to discuss my particular needs as a trans person and how to navigate this and some of their other policies. 
They were never particularly open to the conversation or willing to work with me to try to find workarounds. Um, I tried to explain many times that my name is not a nickname and the consideration of it as such is not only inaccurate, it also doesn't acknowledge the differences between transgender and cisgender people who maybe go by names that aren't their legal names. Um, the night before the election materials were published, the elections committee still refused to do anything other than publish my legal name with Lane printed in quotes alongside it. Uh, I didn't know what else to do, so I asked them to please refrain from including me at all in the election materials, uh, which they did not. They published my legal name with Lane printed in quotes. Um, at this point, let me just say, I'm not concerned with people knowing that I'm transgender. I intentionally lead with my transness often. However, it really sucks when I have no say in how I get to lead with my transness and parts of my identity are shared without my consent, especially when I have expressly asked for them not to be. Um, so before I tell you the conclusion of the story, let's pull out our equity and equality lenses here, equality first. So just a reminder, the definition of equality is, quote, the quality or state of being equal as likeness or sameness in quality, power, status, or degree. Okay, so the situation is, the stated rule is no candidate may run under a, quote, nickname. Now, this is a little sticky because I don't totally remember if they defined nickname or not, and if they did, what that definition was, but the definition of nickname is pretty pivotal here. Since I don't remember, let's just use Merriam-Webster's definition of nickname, which is, quote, a usually descriptive name given instead of or in addition to the one belonging to the person, place, or thing, end quote. So this definition is not using the phrasing legal name, it's just using the phrase, quote, the name belonging to a person. But I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to suppose that a policy stipulating no candidate may run under a nickname uses the criteria of legal name to decide what is and is not a nickname. So now that we've ironed that detail out, back to the equality lens. So again, the policy is that no candidate may run under a quote nickname, and that means everyone must use their legal name. So carrying that policy out equally means that everyone equally must use their legal names to run for office, period, the end, right? And then if we pick up our equity lens, again, equity is defined as justice according to fairness, especially as distinguished from mechanical application of rules. Well, we might say in order to do justice to this situation, we have to consider the ramifications of nicknames and legal names for different people. If someone is cisgender and uses a nickname rather than a legal name, because that's what they prefer, are the stakes different for them than for someone who is transgender or genderqueer, gender expansive, gender nonconforming, etc., and uses a different name than their legal name for validation of their gender identity? I don't fully have an answer for that question. I know that some cisgender people use a name other than their legal name for very important reasons, and they have done so for a long time. Some folks like the majority of their life. So how do you decide how important that is or not, I'm not entirely sure. And if it were up to me, I would say, let anyone run under any name they want, barring like slurs and harmful words or phrases. I don't know. I guess that could get confusing if someone's running under a name they don't go by, but also like, who cares? These are student body elections. It's not like someone's running for vice president of the country or anything, but okay, back to our equity lens. 
um, and, quote, justice according to fairness, especially as distinguished from mechanical application of rules, I would argue that the conclusion here is that the stakes of nicknames for cisgender people and use of a name other than one's legal name for transgender, gender nonconforming, gender expansive, etc., folks, is different. And if we are attempting to parse out justice according to fairness, especially as distinguished from mechanical application of rules, that looks like applying this policy differently to cisgender people than to transgender people. I think equity might even say, let's consider this policy and what its goals are and attempt to find a way to rewrite it such that it stops people from running for office under names they do not actually go by because that's what's confusing here. But the current policy, as it is written, seems very preoccupied with legal names with the absence of a clear and or good reason. But so anyway, again, equity here takes context into consideration and gives us a more just political outcome, in my opinion, than equality, which does violence to trans people taking their autonomy to name themselves away. Okay, so in summary, equality, quote, this quality or state of being equal as likeness or sameness in quality, power, status, or degree is kind of how U.S. politics are measured currently. And really what it fails to take into consideration is that currently there is a lot of inequality. Marginalized communities of all sorts lack access to resources, face stigma, and are not supported in many ways. And so when you approach an already unequal situation and try to make decisions based upon the standard of equality, you wind up perpetuating that already existing inequality even further. That's why I'm a fan of equity, aka justice according to fairness, especially as distinguished from mechanical application of rules. Equity folk focuses on justice and fairness rather than sameness, because in a lot of scenarios, sameness is not fair or just. The larger and or historical context of any given issue must be taken into account in order to make a just and fair decision. And equality misses that important piece while equity is based upon it. We should not be using equality as our political standard. We should be using equity. That's the only way we, as a country, are going to be able to start unraveling our long history of violence and oppression. All right, so on that super uplifting note, I'm going to move on to the recommendation section. I'm really excited this episode to recommend the podcast All My Relations, and even more specifically, episode 6, Indigiqueer. The whole podcast is stunning. It's about indigeneity and relationships. Each episode focuses on a different topic facing Native peoples, and episode six, Indigiqueer, is about gender and sexuality, and also poetry and patterns and academia and dating and laughter and sadness. Ugh, it's it, it's just incredible. Uh, I, I can't really say, say much more about it beyond that. It's, it's amazing. So I would really recommend checking it out, um, and I'm going to put a link to that episode in the podcast description. And I think that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to make a sustaining monthly donation to the podcast on Patreon, I'd be super grateful. Truly, no amount is insignificant. Uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash responding to, and I'll put the link in the podcast description and on the blog. Speaking of the blog, check it out. It's uh, responding the number two old white dudes questions about gender sexuality dot home dot blog, which is not an easy URL, I know. I'm also going to put a link to it in the podcast description. You can submit questions or comments there by clicking got a question or a comment right at the top of the page. You can also email me your questions at responding to old white dudes at gmail.com, all written out, no numbers or different spellings or anything. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter. Feel free to tweet me your questions if that's your jam. The account is called Respond 
responding to, just like the podcast title, and the handle is at T-O underscore responding. Also, let me remind any listeners with questions that you do not have to be an old cisgender heterosexual white dude to ask a question. Thank you again for listening to episode 16 of Responding To, the podcast that aims to respond to projected questions old white dudes might have about gender and sexuality. I hope you tune in for the next episode and have a great rest of your day.